Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Good to have you here with us. Thanks for joining. Let's, um, if our screen obeys, let's do our greeting and call to worship. It's been acting up, so it might not. When Jesus saw the crowds, he said, whether they had had a good day or a bad, blessed are the spiritually poor for God's kingdom is theirs. It's yours this morning. This is Psalm 32. It's not the whole Psalm, but it's a good portion of it. Let's, let's do it together. Offer it as a prayer to the Lord. David says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Amen. Thank you. I just want to share a couple sort of quick neighborhood stories from this week, last couple of weeks. Um, you know, last week we talked about Ukraine, right? And the, the refugee efforts that Carl Newman's brother is putting in, um, looking after the refugees coming their way. And we shared that story. Um, there are also needs here at home. And I was just especially reminded of that this, over the last couple of weeks. Um, one week, uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, I, I, drove, I drove in here and right on the, the corner um, of the building, maybe about six or eight feet wide, was uh, red spray paint. And, and it said, open your third eye, which is, of course, witchcraft, right? As well as obvious graffiti, right? There, there are needs here as well. Um, this past week, Twice I, I cleaned up drugs, um, and once it, it was quite extensive. In fact, someone had clearly spent the night on our porch uh, over up on the um, office portable. Um, and you may, if you've walked past there since then, you may have noticed that I took down all of the slats, so it's very uh, skeletal at this point. It's just the poles now. Um, but because someone had sheltered in there through the night and had um, set up uh, like a, a portable space heater and, and the cord managed to connect to the, the outlet just above the garden beds. And there was clothing everywhere. There, there were multiple frying pans still with food on them. There were DVDs. There were um, a lot of drugs. Um, it was a mess. And it was, it was a heartbreaking mess. Um, there, there are needs just around here that, that the second time this week, it was just a matter of cleaning up someone's um, drug overdose kit, but that's around us and we've been placed here. Why are we here? We, we are here for this exact reason. And so as we go into a time of prayer, let us remember 
Ukraine. Let us remember the needs closer to home here as well. And may they not compete. Uh, Our God cares about both. You may, of course, be bringing your own needs this morning. Let's remember those as well. I'm going to use Psalm 146 um, as a guide to uh, prayer this morning. Um, And you're going to notice that it, it will capture the big things like Ukraine and the local things like drugs and the reason that people go to them. Um, And it will reframe it in terms of, I I still need to worship this God who has, for purposes I do not fully understand, allowed such things to happen. And yet also scripture says equally that he takes care of those who are in such need. And we have to somehow reassert both that this is a God who deserves to be worshiped even when I don't understand what he's allowing. And even then says that he takes care of the very person who is on my step, on our step. So let's, let's continue with this, this worship together here. Let's pray. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh, oh my soul. I will praise Yahweh as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life. Lord, we worship you. You are a God we don't pretend to understand fully, yet what we have seen reminds us that we can trust you. And we we come to you in worship. And I, Our form of worship is an offering of trust this morning. We trust you, Lord. We don't get it. Whether it was an answer that we got this week or a situation that we observed, we don't get it. But we trust you. Regardless of what comes down the newsfeed, we trust you. You are Lord. We worship you. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal people in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth, and on that very day, their plans perish. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Lord, we remind ourselves that our hope is not in any form of government. Our hope is not in any form of human force or power or ingenuity. Our hope is in you, maker of heaven and earth. The one who is over top of the chaos and claims to be the help of those in the middle of the storm. Would you be the help in the middle of the storm for those in Ukraine this morning? Would you be help in the middle of the storm for those on the streets this morning? Would you be help in the middle of the storm for those in the middle of addiction and those in the middle of unanswered questions who feel like the waters have come up to my neck, oh Lord, the waters have come up to my neck and I can't touch the bottom anymore. Be that help. 
that scripture says that you say that you are. Blessed is the God who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Lord, because you are faithful, make us faithful. Because you care about justice and the oppressed, do the same in us so that our hearts reflect yours. Since you give food to the hungry, show us how to come alongside what you're doing. Make us a people with the same heart that you have. Yahweh sets the prisoners free. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh lifts up all who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. Yahweh watches over the refugees. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Lord, set prisoners free. People caught in addiction. Open the eyes of the blind. Those who aren't aware of what you are doing right now, show them what you are doing. And bring healing at every level to those who need it. Lift up those who can't see anything but the dirt they are in right now. Show them your love. Yahweh will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, O God's people, your God will reign for all generations. Praise the Lord. And we say together, praise the Lord. We worship you, Lord. You are over all. Where else can we turn? Like the disciples said, where else would we go? We've got nowhere left to go. We are all in for you, Lord. So Lord, would you do your work among us so that we we become the people who partner with you in all of the things that you are doing to bring restoration and redemption and healing to this world. Make us people who look like Jesus. Lord, as we continue in a different portion of scripture now, would you illumine our minds Would you enlighten the eyes of our heart? Would you bring spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we don't have simply a cognitive experience now, but so that we meet you and hear you and see you and respond to you the way your scripture demands? Not because you're a tyrant, but because you are so compelling that there's nothing more that we can do but submit and say, we love you, we give you everything. So we give you our yes to these scriptures before we've even heard them. We give you our yes because we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you uh, grab your Bibles? Go to Galatians. We're going to be in chapter four and five today. 
But let's, let's interact a little bit. You don't have to be a parent to answer this question or a parent of a certain age, but how would you recognize that your children are becoming mature adults? What are the ways that you would recognize that there's been a shift in them and maturity is developing? Um, I have a particular answer that will transition us into our message, though you don't need to necessarily look for my answer. Let's just call some things out. What are things that would demonstrate maturity, demonstrate growth from I'm, I'm a child, I'm a teenager to I, I am becoming a mature and wise adult? When they admit that they don't know everything. <laughs> When they know they don't know everything. That's great. Some of us still aren't there. (laughs) Good answer. What else? This is meant to be interactive. It's meant to be fun. Go ahead, Lionel. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. So when they, when they start to recognize the world and the ways that the world works and then start to question them, uh, both for good and for bad, right? That, that there's that questioning part that comes in that I don't simply accept what comes to me, that I need to interact with it, that these things should be different. Yeah, that's great. Recognizing that there's something called responsibility and then having the self-discipline to live up to that responsibility. Said by the only parent with teenagers currently in the room. (laughs) That's awesome. We're not looking at you guys at all. That's a great answer. Recognizing that there, I need to take ownership for my life. I need to take ownership of the things around me. I I am not simply uh, passive. I don't simply get a ride. That, that I, I have the, um, the agency, like similar to what Lionel was saying, the agency to make a difference both for, for good or for ill in this home, in this, the, in this family, within the circles that God has put me in. I'm there for a purpose. Yeah, all that's tied up with responsibility. Others, Heather. Hmm. Heather saying when there was a when she saw that there was becoming a different thought process behind the decisions that they were making, that they were starting to understand these decisions have consequences even beyond the short term, right? Whether it's the people I choose to associate with, or whether it's the way that I spend the money that has been entrusted to me, or the way that I behave at at work, or something like that, that these have much more long term consequences. And that the thinking changes from the immediate to something beyond. Yep. Very good. Thank you. These are all helping me because I'm not anywhere close to this. Keep going. Anything else? 
Lynette. Hmm. That's a good way of putting it. Lynette said, from, from um, interactions where there's fighting for independence to recognizing that there is an interdependence happening within my circle, whether it's within my family or my peers, that I don't exist as an island and everyone else is there to, um, you know, may or may not visit. Um, I don't exist independently in such a way that um, my, my actions don't have consequences and that I, I don't need anyone or anything else. Independence is actually a little bit of an illusion, isn't it? Very good. Well done. Thank you. Some of you hit on uh, the thing that I wanted to use as a, not just a transition, but as an illustration of, of where the Apostle Paul is going in Galatians. Um, it, you notice growing maturity when people do the responsible things without having to be told or referring back to the rules. Right? I had this, um, God just dropped this on me this week as I was, I was in the middle of doing laundry. Um, I'd been doing some chores through the day and my kids were now, Marcus and Silas were both now home. Um, and it's Friday when Friday is, Friday's the anomaly on our chore schedule because with two boys, the rest of the week divides evenly. But then Friday, I can't simply divide those because there's seven days in a week. So I can't divide everything perfectly evenly in our chore schedule. And so Friday ends up being the anomaly. And I asked one of them to go empty the dishwasher and they referred back to the chore schedule and said, there's no one on. There's no one on for the dishwasher. And I just got frustrated. I'm like, you know what? I I got like frustrated, like passive aggressive where I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I don't even want you guys to do it anymore. Like I was, I was upset and that was poor parenting on my part, but I suddenly heard the Lord say, Ben, they're not mature enough to think like that yet. They're not, they're not at that growth stage yet where it's appropriate for you to have, to expect them to think of other people and the ways to pitch in and be part of the team because they're not there yet. And my chore schedule isn't perfect, but my chore schedule is there to coach them until they get to a point in their own growth and maturity where they don't need a chore schedule anymore because they start to recognize what is needed to participate well in this family such that this family function well together, that the things get done, that there is peace, that there is mutual love, there is service and all of that. And my kids aren't there yet, right? And I shouldn't expect them to be there yet. The Apostle Paul has been talking about the law, the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament rules, the Old Testament system, the Jewish system. He's been talking about it as though it's a chore schedule. Okay? Galatians has been making this point over and over and over again. So you will see in Galatians 3, look at this, verses 23 to 25. He basically calls it um, a chore schedule in a way. 
He says, before faith came, and he's talking about Jesus, we were imprisoned or guarded under the law until the faith, is re- the faith was revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian or our, our tutor or our guard. The, the word that he's using there is describing sort of like a, a babysitter parental figure that's put in place while people are still in the, um, the childish stage that they haven't yet developed the internal stuff that would make them go, I don't need the chore schedule anymore. So it was, it was a tutor to get them ready until Christ came so that we, might, and so that we might, then might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to that tutor, subject to that disciplinarian. The Old Testament functioned as though it was simply the chore schedule helping people understand what the responsibilities are in black and white until, they, until the right time came when, when God would send Christ, when he would pour out his spirit, when there would be sufficient faith available such that they no longer needed to be told what, what to do and not to do because they had grown mature enough because they had grown mature enough that they didn't need to be told anymore. Does this make sense? I have to pause there or I'm going to end up, I don't want to run past you. Does the Old Testament as chore schedule make sense to you? Okay, that, that's crucial. Because what Paul is facing within this congregation is that people who have become mature, they have shown the responsibility we just discussed. With the spirit having been placed in them, they now have sufficient faith and maturity in Christ that they no longer need the chore schedule and they're going back to the chore schedule. And it's Friday and they're going, well, it, it says that this is what it says. Or it's Thursday and no, no, that's Marcus's job. The chore schedule says, and Paul's going to pull out his hair and go, guys, you have the spirit. You have grown up in Christ. You no longer need the chore schedule. Why are you going back to it? That's going to be crucial for what comes, what comes next. Now. If you have been reading through Galatians, you have noticed there's this really awkward passage where he uses an allegory and talks about um, Sarah, um, so Abraham's wife, Sarah, and Hagar. Sarah has the child of promise known as Isaac. Hagar has a child that was not promised to Abraham, that Abraham went out and got um, using his own... um, how do you put that delicately? Abraham did it himself, okay? It didn't have anything to do with God. He took matters into his own hands, right? And so Paul is now gonna describe and, and compare those two different ways of thinking as two different forms of essentially relating to God. So he is gonna say that Sarah, um, sorry, he's gonna say that Hagar had a child who was not born by a promise. God had not promised 
um, Hagar a child. This child ends up being a form, uh, a child that does not inherit the blessing that was promised to Abraham. Now, God does bless him, but he doesn't inherit the blessing that was promised to Abraham's child, right? Whereas Sarah, in Sarah's child, Isaac was born precisely because of a promise. God made the promise to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would have this child and that that child would inherit the promise. Do you remember what the promise was from previous weeks? The promise was the Holy Spirit, that eventually Christ would come, he would make it possible for all people to inherit the Holy Spirit. The inheritance is um, the Spirit in Galatians. Ishmael doesn't get that. And then he, what, he, what Paul does is compare Judaism to what has happened since Christ. And he's gonna say, all those who continue to follow the law are, are, like, are like Ishmael. They, they never got to inherit the promise, so they're still following the chore schedule. Whereas the people who have inherited the promise, inherited the Holy Spirit, no longer need the chore schedule. And then what he's going to say is, why are you now, as people who have inherited that promise, going back to a less mature form of religion? That's my best paraphrase for you uh, of that section. I'm not going to go into it in any more detail. I wanted to deal with it briefly in order that we move on to the next part. Okay? I will do Q&A today. You're welcome to, to come back at me, ask for more clarity. I may or may not have it. We'll see. The point that he makes out of that analogy, however, is that he says that the people born to Ishmael, those who follow the chore schedule, are still in slavery. They're still in slavery because they're still immature. In other words, he's comparing slavery to still being under the tutor. Remember, the tutor was the Old Testament. These people haven't matured enough to move beyond that because they don't have the spirit. So they're still in slavery. Whereas the people who have now received the spirit are not in slavery, they're free. That's the conversation behind the text that I'm about to read. So would you look at chapter five, starting at verse one? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not once again submit to a yoke of slavery. What's the slavery he's talking about? Those Old Testament rules and regulations, that form of religion that does not have the spirit, that is still immature. Don't submit to that anymore because you now have the spirit. He says, listen, I, Paul, am telling that you that if you follow that law, and so his example of it is circumcision, right? If you allow yourselves to be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, maybe just pause there. Do you realize how big that statement is? If you go back to that old religion, Christ will be of no benefit to you. These are believers. They've been baptized. They've received the spirit. And he says, if you start following the religion and trusting in that, everything Jesus has done will be of absolutely no benefit to you. Like there's good, there should be like three exclamation points in our Bibles after like that exact, like, it, like it's that heavy. 
If you and I trust in our abilities to make God happy by coming to church or tithing or keeping rules, if that's where you put your trust, Jesus will be of absolutely no benefit to you. In fact, what he's going to go on to say is that once again, I testify to every, that every man who allows himself to be circumcised, that he will now have to obey the entire law. And you who want to be justified in that way will have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen from grace. I'm going to come back to that term in a minute. For through the spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. In other words, righteousness doesn't come because you keep a few religious rules. Righteousness doesn't come if you keep every religious rule. It only comes about through Jesus, by the Spirit, as we trust him with faith. That's it. So you don't get any credit for being here this morning in that sense. Sorry. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither keeping these laws or not keeping them, counts for anything. He's not going to say that they are of no value. What he means there is you, uh, you either get it all through Jesus or you don't. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. When our society uses the term fall from grace, what do they mean? What do we mean? We mean someone screwed up, right? Someone who should have known better, screwed up. So we could name any number of different, um, let's keep it religious. So we could name any number of different Christian leaders who have fallen from grace because they embezzled money, because they had an affair, because uh, some email got leaked or something ended up on the internet or their words got twisted. Like in any number of different ways, people fall from grace, right? That That way of using that term has absolutely nothing to do with the way Paul is using this term. He is not talking about people sinning and therefore you have now left grace behind. What he is talking about here is when people leave Jesus behind to trust in their own ability to keep themselves righteous or holy before God. When they leave Jesus and default to their religious practices in order that God might be happy, in order that I might then be right with God, that's the fall from grace. The fall from grace is not a fall into sin, it's a fall to religion. Do you follow this? Do you see this in the scriptures? Make sure you see it in the scriptures. A fall from grace is not you screwed up this week. A fall from grace is I now, I screwed up this week and now I trust in my own ability to get myself right with God apart from Jesus. That's the fall from grace. You have have tried to get right with God without grace. It is by grace that we are saved. Jesus did all the work, right? I didn't make myself right with God. You didn't make yourself right with God. You're not right with God because you came here this morning. You're right with God because Jesus had a good week. Remember, we talked about that the other week, right? 
It doesn't matter the week that you had, it matters the week that Jesus had, and Jesus had a good week. You're right with God because you trust Jesus, not because you trust in your own ability to, to keep rules, to continue higher and higher on this sort of moral perfection scale. It's not about moral perfection. And in fact, Paul will say earlier in Galatians, and we covered this, if, there, if it was possible for righteousness to have come about, for us to be right with God through, through a law, then Christ wouldn't have needed to come. Jesus came precisely because the law was impotent for that kind of thing. You and I are impotent for that. We are not able to make ourselves right with God. We are only able to be right with God because of Jesus. So stop feeling like every time you make a mistake, you need to clean yourselves up before you can make eye contact with God. It doesn't work that way. And yet so often we default that way. Chore schedule. Do I love my kids because they keep my chore schedule? Do I love them more if they keep my chore schedule? versus if they don't. It's ludicrous, right? It's such a stupid question that none of you will even go, no, Ben, right? But that's the way we treat God all the time. We, we say that, oh, I had a bad week. I made a mistake. God doesn't love me because I didn't do all my chores. God loves you already. Now do your stinking chores. But we do our chores out of response to the God that we love who has already loved us and accepted us. The chore schedule has zero to do with love. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Please keep that chore schedule analogy in mind as you constantly reflect on your life with God as you constantly reflect on what it is that makes God happy. What makes God happy is that you know that you are loved and then you live out of that love. You know that you are already accepted by Jesus. And then we show him that by going to the fridge and checking the chore schedule and going, hey, I'm living this way because maturity comes. This is what Paul says. Maturity comes because we have the Spirit. And if we have the Spirit and are living with the Spirit, we will fulfill the chore schedule. My parents, when I go home, so when I go back to Ontario and we spend a couple of weeks there, as mature adults, we try to recognize we don't need my dad and mom to give us a chore schedule to make sure that a house of 10 or 15 people functions because there are enough mature adults in there that we go, we're going to go get dinner tonight. That floor is dirty. These toys need to be cleaned up. And, and we, we all pitch in together, those of us who are mature adults, right? I didn't need a chore schedule from my dad. And that's the, the argument that Paul is going to make in the remainder of Galatians. I'm not going to get there today. He will say, if you live by the Spirit, you will fulfill the law. In other words, if you actually develop the life of the Spirit, you will refer to the law and go, ah, check, already did that. Check, already did that. Check, already did that. But I did it before checking the schedule because I love my Heavenly Father. 
So he's going to say, it is for freedom that you have been set free. It's not, it, it, it's freedom from the schedule. It's not freedom from the chores. Do you understand the difference there? Freedom from the schedule, not freedom from the church. It's freedom from the list in the sense that my name is not beside this and this and this, and I have to go back to it in order to make sure that I get it done. It's, I have grown up and I do what is necessary to participate in this house because I love the people in this house and I want to serve them. I want to bless them and I want to be a family. And this is about bringing peace to this house and serving one another in love. So it's freedom from the need to go check that schedule. But the same things still need to be done, but they're done with a different spirit. So what he's going to say in the end is he's just going to recap it, verses five and six. He's going to say, for through the spirit now, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. In other words, God makes us righteous and, and we wait for that final consummation. We don't get it by keeping law ABC, right? For in Christ, neither, none of these laws count for anything. The only thing that counts is trusting God and letting that work out through love. If you have the spirit and you trust God and you want to love God more every single day, you will not need a chore schedule. That's the point he's making. What is it in us that makes us continually think, I know this, know this, get it. Your chore schedule analogy has landed with me, but there's something in me that the next time that I screw up, I'm still going to default back to that old model. What is it? Find out what it is and kill it. Okay? There's probably a lie somewhere that you and I believe that we have learned from someone else, been modeled for us, it's been reinforced by our parents or something like that, that acceptance is earned by good behavior. It's a lie. It contradicts God's word. Okay? But sometimes we default to the lies we were brought up with, even when we have heard the truth of God's word. Find out where it is for you, expose it to the light, and make sure it dies. Sometimes we help people with that in healing prayer. Okay, are there questions? Comments, we have time to interact. Is there, is there something that as I have been talking, you said, that's not as clear as I would like. Can you revisit that with different words? Or is there something that this has raised for you that I, I never thought to get to or something like that? Or questions, comments, anything you want to interact over?
Lionel's referencing the, the Old Testament where in the Old Testament, it looks ahead and says, uh, a time is coming when I am going to write this law on your hearts. I'd have been trying to do that for a long time. It was, they were having hard, they, hard hearts, essentially. It was not sinking in properly. And they were, God was looking ahead saying, this is not the end, what I have. A, a time is coming when I am going to do something for you that you have not been able to do. And so Lionel then compares that to um, the culture that these Galatians would have been brought up in before they met Jesus, where these, are, these were not Jewish people. They, they were people who had been introduced to Jesus from, you know, to put it in modern terms, they were Hindu, they were Muslim, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but now they've come to meet Jesus and then they're discovering that there's this Old Testament and, oh, that, looks, that way of doing things looks very similar to the ways that we worshiped our gods before. And what they have done is circumvented and avoided the very thing that the Old Testament pointed to, which is a time is coming when I'm going to put it in your hearts. And Galatians is about God putting it in the heart. If you walk by the Spirit, you will fulfill the law. And he will then describe the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, right? Against such things, there is no law. You don't need the law anymore to tell you that you should love people or that there should be peace or faithfulness because the spirit is producing those things in you now. So Galatians is that the old Testament is looking forward. Galatians is looking back and Paul doesn't make the point, but Lionel made it that um, why would you, why would you go back to something that's looking ahead? That's been the argument in Galatians constantly. Why are, why are you people returning to a, a less mature form? You're regressing. It's not even delayed ad- adolescence. It's like returning to adolescence once they had already grown to maturity. God seems to highlight this because it's something that we still default to, because we still believe those lies, right? That acceptance comes about by performance. Acceptance does not come about by performance. The Jewish people didn't actually believe that either, but that's a different story. Other questions, comments? Something else been raised for you? What I'd like to do is give you a minute to listen. And what I mean by that, if you're new, is we take a moment and instead of saying, here's what I need to remember as, you know, scribble this down or make a note for myself or something like that. We say, no, Lord, whatever else has been said, what do you want me to take from this? What are you saying now? So take a moment to do that. And then I will come back. The prophet Bono once said, Religion is what's left when the spirit has left the building. Religion is what's left when the spirit has left the building. What does he mean by that? Religion is what's left when the spirit has left the building. When we lose the relationship 
we default to religion. We default to rules. When we take our eyes off Jesus, whom we only know through the Spirit, as revealed in Scripture, we lose the relationship. Don't lose the relationship. If we lose the relationship, we default to religion. And as Paul says, you will have cut yourself off from Christ. So reflect on your own behavior. As as you make a mistake, is your default running to your good heavenly father? I'm hurting, Lord. I hurt you. I'm sorry. Or is it, I clean myself up. I go to church. I give a little bit more. I read my Bible because those are the things that will make God happier and he will therefore not have a frown on his face when it comes to, oh, and I did this. Don't lose the relationship. Religion is what's left when the spirit has left the building. And we will know we have lost the spirit. We will know we have taken our eyes off of the relationship when we default to those kinds of behaviors, when we default to thinking that we will, we will earn God's favor by doing this, that, or the other. Let's not do it. Let's pray. Lord, would you protect us from falling from grace into religion? Empty religion that has an emphasis on keep this, do that, measuring a moral report card, and has little to no emphasis on God is for us, who can be against us. It has little emphasis on making sure that we walk by the Spirit and live by faith, trusting in Jesus and letting that work itself out in love. Lord, make us people who can't, who won't, who are determined not to take our eyes off Jesus. May that, may that prayer in Hebrews 12, that encouragement, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, be our call and our cry and our salvation every day. That it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, may, may you highlight for us the next time that we default to going to a chore schedule to earn love. Would you give us your divine insight into the things inside us that make us think we need to go that direction in order to please you, in order to get the love that we want. Lord, would you fill us every day with your spirit so that we keep the whole law, so that we love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we want, Lord. So fill us with your spirit. May your spirit produce your love in us. And may all of that be with 
the goal of keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We love you, Lord. We continue now in worship because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace, my friends. Thanks for being here. Blessings. Have a great week. 